0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini.
1: And I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki.
0: Grace, my episode, my long-awaited episode with Mary Lou Henner went up in both of the feeds on Monday. So if you had not had a chance to check that out, please do. Uh, It was delightful and it's probably gonna be the first of multiple episodes with her as we discuss uh, in that one. So check that out, it was an episode of Tell Me More. Very, very much enjoyed that one. And then on Monday, I also did another interview with a a friend of mine who has had a pretty interesting last couple weeks on the Broadway. It is Aaron J. Albano, who over the course of two weeks has been employed by three different Broadway shows and has gone on for two of them and is getting ready to make his debut in a third show. Uh, I think next week is, is, is what he said. So that'll be a Patreon-exclusive episode. So if you want to hear all about how he went from Here Lies Love to Hamilton to Aladdin, all in the course of like 14 days, head over to patreon.com slash slash Patreon and sign up for the mezzanine tier and above. But let's get into the news, Grace. Not a ton of stuff happening on Monday, but the big news that started the day is that we know who not the next Harold Zidler is going to be in Moulin Rouge on Broadway, but the Harold Zidler after that. We know that Titus Burgess is currently playing the role now. He is scheduled to run through December 17th. Then Eric Anderson, who had previously been playing the role, will be back as Zidler from December 19th through February 4th. Then starting on February 6th, will be the legendary Grammy-winning singer, songwriter, and overall icon, Boy George. Boy George will be taking on the role for a limited run from February 6th through May 12th. Of course, this is not Boy George's Broadway debut. He had come to Broadway first in 2003 in a show that he co-wrote and starred in called Taboo, which still has some of the Best underappreciated show tunes I think that we have had in a long time. I thought that score was really, really tremendous. He was actually nominated for a 2004 Tony Award for best original score for it as well. So, Grace, I I was a little taken aback by this. I had not heard this news uh, ahead of time until the embargo came in. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, Danny Burstein and Eric Anderson both playing a role makes total sense. They are of the same type uh, when it comes to casting. Throwing in Titus Burgess and Boy George into that same role shows that the role of Harold Zidler can be played many, many different ways. I never would have thought that all of those people would be playing the same role on Broadway. But very interesting, very exciting. You know, I I don't know what this means for Moulin Rouge, if anything at all, other than it's just kind of cool to have Boy George in a musical on Broadway, I guess.
1: I feel like this is actually a role that can be played by anyone. Like I, I, I don't think that totally. there is a type to this role. I think that there's like, there's a like honestly like I would love to see like uh, someone who is also played leading player in Pippin. I could see anyone. Mm-hmm take on this role that knows how to carry a cane. Um, I think in a top hat. <laughs> so, um, listen, I, I think that a lot of people could play, do I want Danny DeVito to go from, I need that to this. Yes, I do. Oh, you know you do. Yeah. Do I, do I see Rhea Perlman go from that? Yes, I do. I think it's really fun and it's cool. And, um, I, I honestly would love to see like every four weeks I would, I would run to see it. I really would. Um, it's it's a part that doesn't have to be an incredible singer. It's a bonus. Anytime you have a great singer, you're not building firework like everybody else is in that show. Uh, so I think that it's it's a really great opportunity. And I saw a lot of people talking about on social how much they love seeing Boy George and Taboo, and they love um, this initiative. So I'm, I'm 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 excited for them.
0: It it brings to mind a couple different casting things that we've seen on broadway here recently or, or in new york recently honestly the first thing that comes to mind because of the anybody can play this role and kind of build it around what their talents are makes me think of hermes and hadestown you could not have very different people in terms of like legitimate vocal style as andre de Shields and and Lilius white obviously both incredible icons in their own right but like they literally just sing everything differently one because it's a man and a woman, but also just kind of their, their styles, especially with Andre doing a little bit more speak singing at his age. So like, I love that factor of it. Like just letting great performers go in and do something with a role that, you know, Zidler's not necessarily like the narrator of the show, but he is kind of an MC in a lot of ways, much like Hermes is. But then it also reminds me of what they've been doing. And again, this is our ongoing efforts to talk about Little Shop of Horrors every single day of our lives. But like how they just kind of keep bringing new people in to Little Shop, similar to what they did with Into the Woods on Broadway, bring in new people and let them inhabit these roles because they are things that people obviously want to do. That was the case because of the time of it all and Into the Woods. Little Shop is because everybody in the world loves Little Shop, and I think with Moulin Rouge It's just so much fun. Of course, you're going to have people wanting to do this. So I think this is a really interesting thing. Like, I don't know if you would have given me a bazillion guesses that I would have said, boy, George is who I want to see as Harold Zidler on Broadway. But it's fun and it's interesting. And I guess that's really all you can ask for when it comes to Broadway replacement casting, Grace.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that this is... uh you know, people get away about, quote, like, stunt casting. And I, and I know that. Like, I, I understand all the sides of all of this. But I do think that this is fun. And, like, let's have fun. And that show has always been fun. And yeah. I think that this is this is the one to do it with. So, yeah, See y'all in February, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of wanting to have fun, yesterday we got news of a new musical adaptation of the 1985 teen comedy, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. That film originally starred Sarah Jessica Parker and Helen Hunt, and apparently they are turning it into a musical. The show is going to feature a bunch of 1980s pop songs, including the Cindy Lauper song Girls Just Want to Have Fun, where they got the name from it. But what is interesting to me about this is who is working on it. Jennifer Werner, who had worked on Book of Mormon, is going to direct, and then M. Dixon, who was a writer for "How I Met Your Father" and "Superstore," is teaming up with Lauren Marcus to co-write the musical's book. I think I'm almost sure that the first time I ever saw Lauren Marcus was in the Jonathan Larson Project at Fifty Four Below, and I and and that was a show that was a show with like everybody else on that stage, where people that I knew well and was already a fan of, and I just left thinking Lauren Marcus is. So incredibly magnetic and interesting to watch on stage. I can only imagine what she's going to bring to writing this show. And this is very exciting. Like we we've talked a lot about movie to musical adaptations and the need for original scores and the you know the the jukeboxness of it all i don't i've never seen this movie it was not a huge hit but it's become kind of like a cult favorite it's about like a competitive gymnast who had a really strict father and when she goes to a new school a, a kind of a rambunctious new friend gets her to enter a tv dance competition so like that sounds like fun. Sounds like something that would be cool for a musical. It sounds like hairspray, but I I don't know that I have a feeling necessarily. Grace, on does this need to be uh, have a new score like we talked about with Clueless last week? Are you have you seen this movie? Are you a fan of this movie? It feels like something you probably know pretty well, if I had to guess. But do you have any thoughts on the jukeboxness of it all? I
1: think it's fun. Um, I've definitely seen the movie. Actually, I feel like it was on TV, like a like, at least a year ago. Um, And I was just kind of like, huh, because I'm a huge Sarah Jessica Parker fan. So I think that it's just a funny coincidence um, that we're talking about it now. It makes sense. I think that, like, there's this need for nostalgic, kind of, like, 80s poppy. I'm just seeing a lot pop up in terms of what's in development right now and jukebox essentials. And I think that with Cyndi Lauper's, like, connection to you know kinky boots and some other stuff and even like you know head over heels had you know that that level um i think that it makes sense that there's another 80s like kind of adaptation coming
0: up yeah and I think you're friends with her too. Amy Sapp, friend Amy Sapp is involved with this uh, somehow. I saw her posting about it on social media. I love Amy Sapp. So I'm not sure what she's doing, if she's producing or helping with uh, marketing or whatever, but very excited about that. And it will be interesting to see what happens. I think this creative team is very, very interesting and it gives me some interest because not only, as I mentioned, very much a fan of Lauren Marcus, but M. Dixon writing for Superstore, which I think is one of the most criminally underrated sitcoms of the last decade. I thought Superstore was brilliant and so much fun so interested to see what this turns out to be and uh who gets to play sarah jessica parker on stage all right in some other kind of show in development news yesterday it was announced that she he and me a new kind of biographical memoir musical written and developed by alexandra billings is going to have an industry workshop in the spring of 2024, ahead of a Broadway production, it will have an original score by composer Andre Catrini and is going to be directed by Joanna Gordon, who had helped uh, write a previous project along with Billings called This Time for Me. We know Alexander Billings from many, many different things on stage and screen in Transparent and the Connors*, and playing Madame Morrible on Broadway. She is not only a performer and an actress, but also an activist, especially in the LGBTQ plus and trans communities. So I don't know if I think this is a one person show from what I'm reading in the press release. It doesn't really get into the details of that. But a one person musical aiming to a Broadway with kind of a memoir background. Grace, look, if you're going to give Alexander Billing something to do, (laughs) this seems like a pretty good idea.
1: She is also like really good on TikTok. Um, I feel like this is like oh. every, every episode, every three episodes. I'm like, did you know this person's on TikTok? Um, Alexandra <laughs> Billings has a really great TikTok presence. I like watch her stuff every single day on my feed. Um, There is activism in there, but there's also like a ton of humorous content, conscious content, theatrical content. She's so good. Um, So I'm, I'm actually like very invested in this um, part of uh, today's, you know, news lineup. Um, And I, I'm excited to see whatever she's posted today as
0: well. Very cool. I have to go and check that out. All right. We're going to circle back to a story that we actually talked about over a year ago, getting close to a year and a half ago. If you remember, there was a national Labor Relations Board filing from Actors' Equity on behalf of the non-equity tour of Waitress. There had been some discrepancies in how the non-union tour was interacting with an actual union tour happening at the exact same time and whether or not that violated production contracts that were signed onto by the producers because of their involvement in the Broadway League. Yesterday, it was announced that all of the sides in this situation had come to an agreement the Actors' Equity Association uh, released a statement that said, quote, Actors' Equity Association and the Broadway League are pleased that the parties were able to reach a settlement of the grievance filed by Actors' Equity Association in May 2022 in connection with the most recent tour of The Musical Waitress. The settlement is an amicable resolution acknowledging the interests of all parties, including the producers, actors, and stage managers, given the unique circumstances regarding this production. They obviously do not go on to say exactly what those terms were of this, but equity had allegedly undercover uh, uncovered some evidence that the national artist management company who is, was running the tour at the time uh, had a financial interest in the non equity production. So it was cross pollinating between the two different versions. One, union, one not. Um, and so that had been a a problem for equity. They had first uh, originally wanted to get that non-equity tour bumped up to equity contracts for all of the people working on it. We don't really get a whole lot of details, but I'm glad if if Actors' Equity is satisfied with the resolution to this, Grace, so am I. Um, this is not really news, but I'm always interested in what Philip Boroff puts out in the Broadway Journal. And this is a, a just kind of a brief test case using Water for Elephants as a way to kind of look at what grossing 1 million dollars per week actually means on Broadway these days. According to Boroff, the new musical Water for Elephants is going to need to sell at least $960,000 in tickets every week just to cover operating expenses. This is according to a budget that uh, that he had had viewed over the past summer and kind of looking at like at one point it was like if you were in the seven-figure club, like that was a big deal. That was a sign of prestige. Now for a lot of shows, it is getting to be like the bare minimum of what you have to have to start making back your investment. He talks about how attendance is still down 14% from 2018, 2019, which was the busiest season according to the Broadway League. But since then, you know, not only has... Attendance not bounced back, but there's also been a lot of inflation to deal with new labor contracts uh, with various unions that have pushed up higher costs for shows as well. But ticket prices have not actually gone up either. The average seat so far this season, so at the beginning of the 2023-2024 season, so far the average ticket price is only $122. That's down $6 from the first half of 2018-2019. Now, this is obviously not the full first half, so those prices could go up with the holidays. They might be able to, to, to make up some of that difference. But still, with all of the inflation that we have seen in the past, what, five years to still be significantly under is has to be concerning. So there's a good article kind of breaking down some of the shows and how they're doing in terms of their capitalization and their weekly running costs. So again, not a ton of news in there, but a a really good breakdown of some of the behind the scenes financials and why we still talk about the grosses every week, because you might think, oh, that those are just numbers. I don't know what they mean, but they really do have a pretty significant impact on what shows you have the opportunity to see and for how long on Broadway. All right, Grace, let's get into a recommendation here. And I'm actually going to ask you to talk about this one because you actually sent this one to me. This is a kind of a behind the scenes look at Stranger Things, colon, the first shadow, the new stage uh, production that kind of serves as a prequel to Stranger Things. Netflix sent it out. So if you want to watch that, take a look. It's very cool. But um, you sent it over. So why don't you give us a little bit of the uh, the nuts and bolts about what we learned in this new video?
1: Yeah, they gave kind of a behind the scenes kind of look at the rehearsal process. They talked to Sonia Friedman, um, who's obviously Sonia Friedman Productions is behind this. It's just kind of like a fascinating little window into kind of confirming what we've been talking about in terms of like how this kind of came to be with the Deffer brothers saying that like, hey, we kind of have this idea and then them connecting with the director and seeing how they could transform the story into a theatrical element. Um it was kind of nice just to be like, hey, it's it's happening, it's happening, you know. We've been talking about it for a while, but I think that anytime a team can put together kind of like a video to say like, and this is what we've been talking about without spoiling anything or giving anything away. We always love behind the scenes content and I'm someone who's constantly screaming about it. So um, I was glad to hear them kind of have like an, a quick little conversation around like how this even came to be.
0: Yeah, and not only that, like when you say behind the scenes, like literally in the rehearsal room, like they we see them working on the stage in rehearsal, they talk to Stephen Daldry, who is is the director. They talk with his co-director. We see Patrick Vale, who is one of the stars of the show. Um, it is very cool, and then they they show us how they tie it into the show Stranger Things. They talk with like the illusion coordinators and all of that stuff. So um, it's very interesting. Something that I, I agree, I think more shows, especially those with kind of like this bigger pop culture appeal and sensibility, need to do to connect with audiences. Like. I have no doubt that Stranger Things, the first shadow, is going to have no problem selling tickets, but just in general, I think it's a really good opportunity to bridge the gap between theater audiences and people who might know an IP from somewhere else. All right, everybody, that's all that we have for today. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio, and you can follow me pretty much anywhere at BWW. Matt Grace, where can people find you?
1: You can find me at It's Grace Aki. All
0: right, everybody, have a wonderful Tuesday, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.